We're in Daniel 2. Daniel chapter 2 is where we're at. Daniel 2. Uh, this is our third week in the book of Daniel. Let me really be clear. If you missed the first week, I would go back and listen to the first week. It kind of gives an overview of Daniel and why the book of Daniel. I think this book is essential for the moment, the cultural moment that you and I are in in 2024. The book of Daniel is so perfect, I think, for the, the moment we're in. Um, let me share a couple of thoughts just so you kind of understand. In case you've been with us or haven't been with us, and you're like, why are you going through Daniel? What is Daniel about? We as a church, like a year ago, went through the books of First and Second Samuel, then First and Second Kings. We taught through a lot of the Old Testament, and it really led us to the point of Daniel, and I think that's why we want to see that. Um, I review this because I think it's helpful for you guys, but if you remember, you had King Saul, the first king, then King David, then Solomon after Solomon. So after the third king, only three kings. After the third king, the kingdom split. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called, oh yeah, Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. You're like, I thought it's all Israel. It was. The northern kingdom got that name. Southern kingdom was Judah. Ten tribes in the north, primarily two tribes in the south. If you guys know that, in just history speaking, like this is history. You can read this even on the, the Assyrian history. The Assyrians attacked the northern kingdom of Israel around 722 B.C. Uh, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin and the Levites, the southern kingdom lasted a little bit longer. Uh, and eventually they were raided and then they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And that brings us to the book of Daniel. And the idea of just even that, there is a few different waves of the Babylonians coming in to really besiege the city of Jerusalem. So imagine like wave one, they take a lot of the youth and a lot of the, like the brain drain, a lot of the intelligent people, the royal people, they take them back to Babylon. There's wave number two and then wave number three. So this happened from like 605 BC to around 586 BC, like 20 years of just attacking the city of Jerusalem. Daniel and his friends are part of that first wave. They're taken from uh, Jerusalem it says they're part of the royal family, so in some capacity, the tribe of Judah. They're taken to Babylon, and basically they're at this University of Babylon for three years to learn the Babylonian ways, to learn their belief system, the, to learn their spiritual practices, their education. The Babylonians, as you know, I mean, they made huge advancements just in human history in general. The Babylonians, like, changed, like, modern math even to this day. I mean, the Babylonians were just in a very successful empire. But you have all these young teenage boys being brought into Jerusalem, ripped away from their family, a few of them in the king's palace, learning the king's ways in a sense. And here they are. And that brings us to Daniel. And that brings us to his boys. Azariah, Mishael, uh, what's the other one? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those guys. Um, it brings us to his buddies. And here they are just kind of living out their, their faith in a pagan culture. And what I love about this is just you see their convictions. They're not willing to compromise. So it brings us to Daniel 2, and the reason why I want to give you kind of that, that backstory is we, it ended last week on a high note. Daniel's like, we're not going to eat the king's food. We're going to kind of do our diet our way. The Lord shows up. They look healthy. They look strong. They, they're smart. They're thinking, you know, clearly. The king sees in Daniel and his friends that he goes, you're 10 times, 10 times more wise than my men around me. So the king has a high view of Daniel. That's how chapter 1 ends. Chapter 2 picks up with a king having a dream. And it's a dream that just disturbs him deeply. And he wants the dream to be interpreted. And there's no one who can interpret it. And then here comes Daniel. 
Now, the reason why I'm sharing this is uh, we're going to do two-parter to Daniel 2. Um, we're going to do kind of like part one, part two. So I'm not even going to get to the dream. So you're going to be like, what did he dream about? You can read it. It's okay. Um, but we're going to kind of look at just like the events leading up and then how God reveals the dream and it just leads to this, this song of praise. So I want us to you see the context. Now, let me put it also this way. In Daniel chapter 2, the word mystery is mentioned five times. In Daniel chapter 2, the word revealed is mentioned seven times. So you see mystery and you see revealed. Five times, seven times. The reason why I'm just bringing it up is uh, the title today is Mystery Revealed. <laughs> okay? And it's simple. I love that we have a God that doesn't want to leave us in the dark. I love that we have a God who speaks. I love that we have a God who says, it's okay to have questions. Bring your questions to me. Um, I do think that we're maybe too guilty to go, I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Rather than say no, like, search it out. Bring it to God. Bring those deep questions to God. It's not okay to, don't just live in, I guess we'll never know. We serve a God who is a revealer and wants to reveal his will to us. And so Daniel is one who seeks that out and finds it. Normally we read the text and pray, but because it's a longer text, I'm just going to pray and we'll jump right in. Sound good? You guys with me? Ready for Daniel 2? This is where Daniel starts to get a little funky, man. It gets weird. I love it. All right, let's just jump in. Father, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your word. God, thank you for these group of men. <laughs> Lord, who, these young teenage boys who are a mighty example to all of us in this room. Lord, I ask that we would learn from them. But Jesus, I ask that we would look to you ultimately, the son of man, the one that the book of Daniel is about, the son of man who will rule and reign and kingdoms will bow before. And Lord, I just ask that you would, um, in this place, in, in our lives, God, in 2024, as we live, Lord, as we feel like we're a minority and maybe a pagan kind of moment, I ask God that you give us deep convictions and that we'd set our eyes on you. And Lord, I ask that you would also give us dreams and visions. Lord, that as you said in the book of Acts, even that's repeated from the book of Joel, that you will pour out your spirit in the last days. And Lord, I just ask that we'd be a, a group of people who say, Lord, speak. We want to listen. Um, we want to hear from you. So Lord, I ask that your word would just make it known in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, as I mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have a dream, a very disturbing dream. Um, it kind of just brought to my memory, you know, and maybe for you guys, it's, dreams are weird. Let's be honest. Dreams are so bizarre. I'm weird with my dreams. I'll even wake up and start describing my dream to Kimber that I had. And she's like, this is nonsense. I'm like, I know, but it so descriptive, you know, and you're like, I don't even know what you're saying. I'm like, it, sometimes dreams are so bizarre. My, my daughter's four. She's in this moment where she wakes up in the middle of the night or comes to our room crying, and the cry is so intense. Like, she's crying. I'm like, are you okay? Like, it's like 3 a.m. You know, like, I'm like delusional. She's delusional. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, it's broken. It's broken. I'm like, what's broken? The toy in my dream. I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't know. Like, you know, you see this. I'm like, let's go back to bed, honey. She's like, it's, it's gone. I'm like, you're delusional. I'm delusional. It's a, but f dreams are weighty, man. It's funny how it can like get to us, get to our core. You know, uh, I love the movie Inception. Like, you have a dream within a dream within a dream. You know, dreams are bizarre. And this, the Bible actually has a lot to say about dreams and different people in the scriptures who had dreams and how God has been many times just faithful to interpret those dreams. Um, I do want to be really clear, as we'll see, not all dreams are from God. Jeremiah 23 talks about this. Jeremiah 23 talks about actually dreams that might come from the enemy, like satanic dreams. So meaning sometimes you might have a dream, be like, that must be from the Lord. Maybe not. 
Um, maybe you need discernment. Maybe you need to test the spirits, as First John 4 says. And I, I want to be clear with that, but some dreams you, you can't get away from. You're like, gosh, Lord, this might be you speaking. I've had some cool dreams when I like study passages, and you go to sleep thinking about the passage, and I feel like well, I woke up with like a really cool thought. I'm like, wow, Lord, thank you. Like, thank you for that like, point I'm going to use on Sunday from dreaming about it, you know, because my, my, my mind's been meditating on it. There's moments like that. Um, there's moments where I think I've mentioned this story years ago, but we had a, a young boy in our youth group, this Jewish boy, uh, who brought his Jewish friend to church. And he was, so this Jewish boy is a follower of Jesus. His friend is not. He's Jewish. They went to a Jewish school nearby. And he's basically inviting his friend to come to know Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And his friend's like, no, no, no. But he really wanted to go to church to kind of like take notes and go to his rabbi and say, hey, rabbi, this is what they said. And, and so this little boy, this little Jewish boy comes like 15, 16, and he's in my office and we're talking. And he has all of his reasons why Jesus can't be the Jewish Messiah. And so I'm just listening. And we're talking through them one by one. At the end of this conversation between um, this one Jewish boy, he's a Christian, the Jewish boy's not a Christian. At the end of the conversation, he's like elbowing him. He goes, tell him, tell him what you dreamed. And I'm like, what? He's like, tell me what you dreamed. He's like, well, okay, I, I did want to come because I had a dream recently. I was in a boat, and I'm going down the river, and on the river, there's all these hills. And this is true. He was on this river, there's all these hills, and there's all these empty crosses. And long story short, at the end of my dream, at the end of the river, I come to the end of the river, and the, at the end of the river, there's a cross, but there's a man on the cross. And he looks at me, and I look at him, and in my mind, in that moment, in my dream, I just, I knew it was Jesus. And I, and I woke up. But that obviously means nothing. <laughs> and we're like, wait, hold on a second. And I'm like, so you, in your dream, you knew this guy was Jesus? And it, what did that mean? He's like, I, I don't know. I just, it meant something like maybe this guy actually did die and, for us. And I'm like, okay, let's explore that. So it's just so, it's so sweet, man. I, you've probably heard similar stories that I have. Um, there's, God has used dreams to wake up many people, groups and tribes and countries. and pe- like just, God has used dreams to wake up many people of the person of Jesus. Um, there are different ministries right now that are trying to reach Muslim communities and Muslim nations and where it's very difficult to get the gospel. And you just hear time, I, there's story after story. And there's some really cool Christian like, accounts that describe these, these dreams that people are having of Jesus the Messiah. I am thankful God uses dreams. But I, I do want to be clear. I don't believe this is God's primary way in which he wants to get the word out. I, I do believe, as Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to us by the prophets of old, but in these last days he has spoken us, to us through his son, Jesus. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 talks about that. And I do believe that primarily God has spoken. We have his final revelation. And God wants to send us to speak forth the word. But Hebrews 2 says, but God can use angels. And we know that God can use dreams. And there's, yes, God can use these things, but I don't think this is, like it, this is how he wants to do it as much as he will do it because he's just such a good and gracious God. But all of that to say, here's a king of a major empire who just destroyed the Jewish people, Jerusalem, the holy place. I mean, everything, taking them captive back to, to his, his kingdom, hundreds of miles away. And he has this dream. And we won't get to the dream today, sorry. Okay, but he has this dream. And he wants to know, what does this dream mean? And so here's what I want to do. I want to look at kind of how we're going to break down our text because um, I just want you to see the flow to this and why I'm, we're going to do part one and part two. But here's the idea. Number one is this. You see a, perple- a perplexed king. Everyone say perplexed. A perplexed king. It's, it's more than that. He's angry. Then you're going to see a praying people. You're going to see Daniel to seek God. And then you're going to see them get the, the dream revealed. You're going to see them praising God. So perplexed king, praying people, praising God. Let's just break down the text. Verse one. Daniel chapter two, verse one. Here's what it says. All right, here's the story, here's the context, here's what's happening. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Listen to that, dreams. His spirit uh, was troubled and his sleep left him. You been there? Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. 
Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, I want to point this out, by the way. Um, we'll put the slide up here so you can see this. From this point on, the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic until the end of chapter 7. So it starts in Hebrew, just so you know this. It starts in Hebrew, and then in chapter 2, verse 3 is the end. Chapter 2, verse 4, it's written in Aramaic, and it's written in Aramaic all the way to 728, all the way to the end of chapter 7. Then it picks back up again in Hebrew. If you're like, why is that? There's speculation around that. Daniel obviously would be trained in Hebrew and Aramaic. Daniel, I believe, wanted people to be able to read this in their own language and be able to hear these stories and believe on his God. And so I believe that this is a way for, for, them, for Daniel to basically get the gospel message out of, here's who God is, here's how he saves, here's how, how he redeems, because Daniel 7 is powerful. Daniel 7 is filled with the Jewish Messiah. So, I want you to know it's in Aramaic. So my Bible nerds, is that cool? Yeah? Hebrew, Aramaic, Hebrew. But we're now in Aramaic, according to our text. So verse 4, it says, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Verse 7, they answered a second time and, and said, uh, Let the king tell us, his, his, the servants, the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Makes sense? Verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Oh, they don't know about the one true God. Verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that, till the, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied, I love this, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He's like, yo, Arioch. He, said, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Whew. All right, a lot there. Let's just unpack this briefly. King's having a dream. He's said actually many dreams. It's probably the same dream on repeat, essentially. And he wants to know, why am I being haunted by this dream? You know, I was reading about um, just the, the top five things most people are anxious about. And it's interesting. There's different, like, universities that do studies on this. The number one thing that came back over and over again was people are most anxious about the future. The, the one thing, it's like this, this the unknown. What does this mean? Wh what's going to happen to me? What's, what's the next year look like? Five years, ten years? We get so anxious about the future. I will say this. It seems that the Lord used this kind of thought of Nebuchadnezzar. Imagine, he's at the height of his kingdom. He actually recently, like, became king from his dad. He's now the king over Babylon. He's the, really the leading the world empire. And there's probably those thoughts haunting him of like, how long will this last? I've seen what happened to my dad. I've seen what happened to kingdom after kingdom. And there's probably fear of the future. And he has this dream, and we'll get to it next week. 
but he has this dream. And it's haunting him. It's disturbing him. And I love how God uses this disturbance in his life to show God's greatness. I just want to slow down before we kind of get to some other thoughts, which is um, it's amazing how God can use this trouble to awaken the king to what matters. I love what one author says. He says, God creates impossible situations to reveal his greatness. I love that. I don't like, this, I don't like these moments. I don't, I don't want to be in a moment like Daniel. No one does. It's like basically, your life's over if you don't tell me the dream and interpretation. Like, who wants to be in something like that? But basically, it's in these critical moments, God reveals to us his greatness. It's like, oh, there's no other option than for me to show up. That's like the book of Daniel on repeat. You're not going to know how this is going to play out unless you have big faith. And you just see this time and time again. But I want you to see this. This dream is disturbing him. He's, he turns to his guys. He goes, you need to tell me it's dream and interpretation. Like, by the way, just this is more of like an argued. Some people think he forgot his dream. Some people think he knew his dream, but he wanted them to tell him. I, I'm more on that part. I, I think that he knew his dream, but he's obviously going, guys, there's no way I'm telling you the dream. We've done this before. Everyone's done this before. We tell you the dream, and you make up some interpretation, and like, okay, I guess that's interpretation. He goes, no, no. For me to know your interpretation is true, I need you to tell me what I even dreamed to begin with. And they're like, king, no one, no king has ever asked, please, just tell us a dream. No one's ever asked of this before. He's like, obviously, this time, you're going to have to know what I dreamt, and then, then I'll believe your interpretation. Now, obviously, there's a couple questions that kind of come up from this text that we have to explore. And the, the first one's pretty simple and kind of obvious, but what do you seek when you're in distress? So here's the king. He's in distress. He's troubled. He turns to his magicians, enchanters, his sorcerers, Chaldeans, maybe the intellects. He's turning basically to the occult. He's saying, I want, I, want, I want somehow this unseen spiritual realm to reveal to me what my dream is. And this is what he's turned to in his moment of distress. I mentioned this before, but um, during the life of Daniel, there was a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was around the same time. Jeremiah was the guy before they came in. And during their, their besieging of Jerusalem, Jeremiah is just preaching the gospel. Like, repent, believe on God. Like, he's constantly preaching. And I love to see the Bible in that way where, like, Daniel is here in Babylon, and you have Jeremiah who's in Jerusalem from that 605 time and before all the way to 585, just preaching and being thrown in prison, being beaten up. And during this time, Jeremiah wrote, wrote the book Jeremiah. And here's what it says in Jeremiah 33.3. Jeremiah says to the people, what? Call to me. He's speaking on, like, God, call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and hidden things that you've not known. What do you do when you're in distress? Who do you call upon? Who or what do you turn to? God's like, call, call on me. Seek me. I want you to turn to me. I think it's in Jeremiah 2. It's one of the most convicting texts, I think. In Jeremiah 2, God's like, you've been worshiping all these pagan gods, and in time of trouble, you, you want to turn to me. Why don't you turn to what you've been worshiping all along? Meaning it's crazy how we can be basically living for something else or some experience or whatever. We have all these little idols or gods in our life. And then when times go bad, okay, maybe I'll call on God now. And God's like, no, 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 go ahead. Turn to what you've been worshiping all, all this time. I, I, I say this. There's this mixture of I don't want to just go to God when things are bad. <laughs> I, I hope that there's like a, I'm, when I go to him, it's like this ongoing relationship where it's like I'm turning to my friend in time of need. Not just, ah, oh, help. Like I'm turning to him because I, I have a relationship with him. But I, you see this with king, the king. He's like, I'll turn to what I've known, these magicians and enchanters and sorcerers, and, and I'll turn to them in this time of need. And I actually want to speak on that in just a second, but I want you to see this dialogue that's going kind of back and forth because it is fascinating. It says uh, in verse 10, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Like, there's no one on earth, king, no one on earth who can reveal this. In some ways, they're right. 
No one on earth who can meet the king's demand. Verse 11 says, no one can show it to the, the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. You know, there's certain scriptures that just like jump out. This is one like in your private reading. I feel like my private reading going, oh my gosh. Who's, there's no go- gods. I love that phrase again. Uh, that says, uh, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. They believe g- gods don't dwell with flesh. The gods. And again, little would they know in a few hundred years, there would be God who would dwell among us. God who would take on human flesh. The God, the son of man that Daniel 7 talks about. But there's like, there's no one, there's no gods who dwell with flesh in this way and can reveal this. But Daniel's, Daniel's God does. Daniel's God will. In verse 12, it says, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and committed that all the wise men be destroyed. I have to point this out before I jump in. Basically, um, I've turned to you guys. I've trusted you guys. If you don't answer this, all of you are wiped out. And this is crazy. See, I want you to view it this way. View this as Satan's way of going, all right, this is my opportunity to take out Daniel and his friends, the ones who are in the king's ear. Uh, if I have to kill all of my sorcerers and enchanters to kill a few of the righteous, I'll do that. That's what Warren Wearsby says here, and I want to give him credit because he said it obviously way more eloquently, but he essentially says, the evil one is willing to sacrifice all his false prophets in the city of Babylon if he can destroy four of God's faithful servants. Satan's servants are expendable, but the Lord cares for his people. Love that. They're expendable. If I can just get Daniel and his friends, fine, I'll get rid of all of my, the people that have been serving me essentially, these sorcerers and enchanters, I'll get rid of all of them. So here's the question I kind of want to really go back to. Um, what do you do when you encounter a mystery? Like, what do you do when you're faced with, like, I don't know what to do here? What do you do? What do you turn to in that moment? Uh, we got to acknowledge, we live in an interesting moment. It's very interesting how I'll see debates going on between people. And basically, it's like, if it can't be explained in the realm of science, I will not believe it. You hear that a lot. I can understand that. They, if, it cannot be ex- if it cannot be repeatable and observed, I will not believe it. And I, I think we've talked about this before, but it's just worth knowing. You know, science, man, it's, it's amazing. God has given us this wonderful tool in which we can try to interpret the world. Here's the thing. Science can tell us the way the world is, but it can never tell us the way the world ought to be. I think this is so important. Like, science can explain the way the world is, but not how it ought to be. Meaning, science can tell us, um, here's how you split an atom. But science can't tell you whether or not you should split an atom. You following me? Like, it, it can do it. Yeah, like, science is great, man. Like, yeah, we, we can split an atom. Look at science, you know? Oppenheimer, I don't know whatever it's called. Like, we can do it. We can do this. But it doesn't answer the question of, should we do this? See, we have to understand, we turn to so many things in life. I'll even say, like, it's funny. Like, modern psychology, I think, has crept into kind of every area of life. And um, I think that in many ways, it can serve a purpose. But it's, it's interesting how you hear, like, every word ever now is, like, kind of tied to, like, it's just so triggering. It's traumatic. It's narcissistic. Toxic. Like, it's like, okay. We're, it's basically like, yeah, it's like sin. Yeah, I agree. It's like, but we use kind of like these words that like kind of infiltrate our like modern day of communicating. And again, I think science or psychology can even tell you many things about yourself. Absolutely. It can probably explain why you are the way you are, but it can't tell you what you were made for. Everything has its limitations. And I do think like, what do you turn? Everyone turns to something, right? He turns to essentially astrology. I think this is worth pointing out because, uh, you know, maybe we haven't talked about something that I think is very real in our, in our world. Um, I was reading so many articles on how Gen Z and millennials, and it's very interesting. Like, when it comes to, like, astrology or looking to the heavens for, basically, advice, uh, and there's a lot of ways you could put this. It's funny how our generation has been probably more obsessed with it than maybe some past generations, especially here in the West, more than ever. I was just trying to read up about this and kind of get familiar with this, but I thought this is very interesting. Uh, the astrology market. In 2018, the astrology market was valued at $2 billion basically in that realm of people spending money on tarot card readings or whatever it might be. In 2021, it's valued at $12 billion. 
the article went on to say that it's basically by 20, I think 30 gonna be about 23 billion, probably more. But the point is that this, this market of turning to the astrologers, enchanters, Chaldeans, like what Nebuchadnezzar turned to, this market is growing, it's a growing market. One of the other facts was uh, one fourth of Americans believe in astrology in some capacity. I think that's Columbia University that put that out there. It's actually like a little more than 25% that people believe in astrology in some capacity. 70 million Americans, the, the article went on to say, 70 million Americans check their horoscope every day. All right. I'll be honest. I've had people ask me, like, what's your sign? I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. It's like, are you like a zebra? I don't even know the words. Like a Libre? I don't know. I'm like, I, I, I promise you when I say this, I truly have no idea what I am. And they'll be like, oh, that's probably, and I've had people say, oh, you're born July, and that means you're this. And I'm like, I don't know. I believe in science. Like, I'll just like respond like, you know, like Nacho Libre, like, I believe in science when they, when they start talking like this. But <laughs> it's funny. I've actually, you know, any coffee shop you go to and sit next to, <coughs> I've heard several conversations of girls talking about their sign, talking about their zodiac, talking about their tarot card reading. It's fascinating to me. I just think it's, it's happening more and more. And I do think we have to like talk about it. We have to address it. Obviously, the Bible has a lot to say, Old and New Testament, about it. Um, you know, I do think there's something that, too, I also want to explore with you guys that's worth talking through is, you know, I've t you, you, there's a lot of stories of, and questions I've, I've talked to the younger generation about, like, Josiah, what's your thoughts on DMT? And some people have called it like, the Jesus drug. And it seems that psychedelics have been used to help people with PTSD get out of that. And, you know, I'll, I've heard actually several testimonies of soldiers come back from war who just kind of live with PTSD, and they've done some sort of psychedelic or some sort of DMT treatment thing, and they went to Costa Rica, they went to Brazil, and you hear these stories, and they're like, now they're healed, like they're not wrestling the PTSD, and, and their argument is just because it works means it's right. So the argument is basically because it's pragmatic and it gets you to that conclusion, therefore that must be a good thing to do. I want to be really clear. I, I want you guys to know this. I believe Jesus wants to heal us of the trauma that we maybe walked through or experienced. I do believe, I believe that somebody who comes back with PTSD in any capacity, I believe Jesus absolutely, I believe the conclusion of, yes, being healed is the same, we have the same desire. I want to see that person healed. I want to see that person delivered from trauma. But it's one of those conversations of, um, it's not that the end justifies the means. I think the means matters. I think how we get there matters. And I think just because it works doesn't mean it's from God. And I think we've got to be clear just because it might, just because DMT or some sort of treatment or some sort of psychedelic, just because it might even be pragmatic, that's not an argument that is that, is that moral or is that God's will. I think we have to know this. God wants to heal. Absolutely. We need to believe that again. Know that I believe God wants to bring people out of those dark places they've been in. But it doesn't mean we use those means to get there. Like we, we have seen in scriptures, yes, <laughs> we saw Pharaoh's servants throw their staffs on the ground. They also turned to snakes. Yes, it was also very spiritual and it, it worked. But it doesn't mean it's from the Lord. There's a lot of times things might work, but it doesn't mean it's from God. I would say Revelation 9 talks about the sorcerer, kind of enchanter, where they'll end up. Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, the Old Testament a lot. My point of bringing this up is saying um, there is no room for this in the body of Christ. I've talked to too many Christians. I've talked to Christians who read the Bible, and then they've also opened up tarot cards on the same like morning. What's the Bible say? What does my tarot card say? I'm like, I'm sorry, you're not reading. Like, no, that's unacceptable. They claim the name of Christ and also participate in that. You cannot do that. And so I, I, it's one of those things where I feel like maybe you're like, Josiah, this seems a little bit like this isn't, we're not struggling with this here at the exchange, but I do think this is becoming more common and creeping more into the body of Christ in different ways. I think we absolutely have to be aware. And yes, I would encourage you guys, do a deep dive into this. Like, what does the scripture say about the, this pharmakia word in Greek? Like, what does that actually mean? And, and go ahead, do a deep dive in that. But there's, from beginning to end, there's no room for us engaging in the psychedelic realm to engage with the spiritual realm. The way we engage in the spiritual realm is through prayer. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So yes, we do engage in the spiritual realm, but not in any, our means and our way of doing that is through the person of Jesus, and that's it.
One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, First Timothy 2.5. That's it. And I do think this is important because I've talked to too many Christians who are like dabbling in this. And I'll say, I'll say this, but I hope, I hope you, you might even know your side right now, all right? I don't know. I'm not going to judge you right now. I hope you forget it. Like, there's no, room, no mental capacity that we need to give over to this in any way ever. I, I do believe there's an unseen spiritual realm, absolutely. I do believe, and we'll see this in Daniel 10 way more clearly, that what you and I do affects the unseen spiritual realm. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not to engage in that through prayer, through the person of Jesus to the Father. We pray to the Father in the person in the name of Jesus. And I think that we need to engage the way Jesus has designed for us to engage in it. And I think any sort of, like, don't give any mental capacity to anything. This is Babylonian repackaged today. And I just want to kind of bring, the, I think this is so important for how you now respond to this. Again, I don't doubt that there's been success in the treatment with different psychedelics or DMT, whatever it is. I don't doubt there's been success, but it does not mean that it's from the Lord. And I think the Lord wants to deliver. And I'll say this, whenever someone maybe promises, like, hey, just go on this one little trip for a weekend and you'll come back better. Like, whenever there's a quick fix solution, you should probably have your doubts. Like, maybe the Lord doesn't want a quick fix. Maybe he doesn't want a microwave treatment. Maybe he kind of wants a slow cook treatment. <laughs> maybe that's actually a better way. So when you kind of hear someone like, yo, they dealt with this for 15 years, but in one weekend it was, it was changed. I would say, you know what, it's, all, it's okay. Like, um, if God wants to do it also the slow, sanctifying way. And maybe God wants to do it quickly. He can do that as well. Absolutely he can. But I'll just be, be aware, like your radar should go up and you go, man, it just seems like there's a really quick fix kind of a treatment thing here. I, I think that Jesus is like, no, narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many go through that. It's always the difficult way. It's always the way that might take more time, <laughs> might take more effort, more work. I just think that we got to be very aware and like we, our ears should perk when we hear someone talk about it. it just fixes it quick. It's like, no, 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 quick fix. I don't know. So anyways, you see this being brought up in this way. Daniel is a wise man who's like, I'm not going to participate in the way the world has participated. I love this dialogue that's going on. Do you hear the king? The king is, it's funny to me. He's like, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to buy time. You're trying to buy time. He's like, no, everyone's going to die now. And then Daniel gets told, like, basically, Arioch is there, and he's like, all right, I'm here to kill you. And he's like, whoa, whoa, I, didn't, I wasn't even in the room. Like, what happened? And he explains, and I want you to see this. It's really interesting, verse 14. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. But remember, how, remember the guy Asphanaz? Okay, it's a great name, by the way. <laughs> um, this is in chapter 1. Asphanaz was a chief eunuch, and he also had favor with Daniel. Like, Daniel like, and him were like buddies. Here's Arioch. He's like, hey, yo, Daniel, I'm here to kill you. He's like, whoa, whoa, like, come on, man. Like, hold up. Can you, like, let me go before the king? Here's God's favor all over again. Because Daniel's going before the king. Who, who's at risk there? Arioch and Daniel. Hey, let me just talk to the king. So we, we see in verse 16, he goes to the king to talk to him. He's like trying to buy more time. He basically asked for an appointed time. He's like, and it's, but really the next day, that's what we see in the text. It's like the next day, give me one night to pray and seek my God. Just give me a night. Give me a night to seek him. He, he'll answer. I trust he'll answer. He's like, give me a night. Give me some time. But you see him go with prudence and discretion. And I think that's so wise. He's not flipping out. Like I'm flipping, I'd be flipping out. I'd be like, yo. But he is with prudence. Yo, Arioch, let me speak to the king. Let me speak to him. Give me a chance. Proverbs 28.1 says the righteous are as bold as a lion. I love that because he knows what he's doing. Daniel could be like, hey, king, and just off with his head. Like, it could be over right away, but he's like, give me some time. Give me some time. So you see this king, and then next we'll kind of jump into uh, verse 17. We see basically Daniel seeking the Lord with his buddies. All right, look at verse 17. It says, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, his buddies. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. We'll get to that blessing in a second. Daniel's like, guys, I don't know if you heard the word, but we're about to die. All right? Let's seek the God of heaven that he revealed this mystery to us so that we might live. Now, a few things, obviously. I love that he has his buddies to turn to. Obviously, I love even the word companions it uses here in Aramaic. He's like, Daniel goes to his friends. The king goes to his sorcerer. The Daniel goes to his friends and to God to seek God with them. I do say this. Um, we obviously need in times of distress to have friends you can turn to. I really do hope and pray that at the exchange, I know you have friends outside of this church, but I think within the church community, it's so necessary to say, hey, I'm in trouble. I have Christian friends who I can call. I have friends who know Jesus, love Jesus, will point me to Jesus, will seek Jesus with me. I would say this, one, be that friend. If you're like, well, I don't have those friends. This church is not friendly. Okay, then you be friendly, all right? Just relax. Then you be friendly so you can have friends. That's also a proverb. So be friendly. Be that. Be that person to someone. You can be that, and I hope you can be the one who also is able to receive that and give that, and just in every way possible. But Daniel has some friends to turn to in this moment. He's like, guys, we have like a night to seek God to get a revelation of what is going on here and what is happening. I, I do want to be honest. I would be so overwhelmed by that. In, in some ways, you could argue that um, what else did Daniel, there's no other option Daniel had. It's basically pray and seek God or die. Like, you say, well, maybe he's not being so bold. Maybe he just played his options here. But I, I, like, when you look at the language of just like, hey, guys, let's seek the, just seek mercy from the God of heaven. We need to seek mercy from the God of heaven. I know you know this verse, but it's sometimes this verse to me is not always interpreted correctly. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptations has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Actually, it's interesting. It's really fun to like do sometimes a deep dive. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about this. The word temptation seems to be better fit with the word trial or testing. And when you do a deep dive into the word and the study and what Paul's actually arguing, it seems he's saying, hey, no trial or testing, no trial or testing has overtaken you. Meaning the trials that you face, don't think that you're, okay, if I'm in this trial, there's no way out. God, it's God saying you're probably in that testing or trial because I know you can't handle it. I know you're going to feel like you can't handle it. But I know that if you seek me and <laughs> come after me, like I know that there is a way of escape. That don't, you will not just be overwhelmed by this. There is an opportunity in this testing and in this trial to find a way out. There is a way of escape. Meaning, seek me in this. Call upon me in this. God is saying, Daniel, like, I'm putting you in a moment where, like, you have no other options, obviously. And I think this is what Daniel would have done to begin with. So I, I got to be clear. He has friends to turn to, and they seek mercy from the God of heaven. So there's prayer, obviously, deeply involved. And I, I do know we know this, but I don't know if we know this. Like, we know prayer cannot be the last resort. <laughs> Like, I know we know that, but do we know that it is our first resort? Like, obviously, obviously, even this week, it sounds minimal. It's like, okay, the truck's broken. Who can I call? <laughs> and there's, just, there's, there's, there's the thoughts that overwhelm you versus, and it's okay to turn to friends, by the way. But the thought of like, okay, Lord, we just, this, this is easy. You got this. And it's like, just prayer. And I, I just think there's something so sweet about like, yes, he turns to his friends. He turns to prayer. I love what uh, one author says about this, uh, Newell. He says, Almost, listen to this, almost everyone believes that prayer is important. But there's a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. I love that. Guys, we, we're, this is the book of Daniel. God's sovereignty, in so many ways, is beyond me. 
My responsibility in that, I'm trying to understand the two. Here's how I see this. I see God is ultimately sovereign and good and gracious, and he's working things together for his good, absolutely, but he also wants man to be involved, there's no doubt. And it, sometimes we have to view prayer as essential, that this will not happen without prayer. I don't think Daniel would have had the vision revealed to him if he didn't seek the mercy from the God of heaven, or the God of heaven. Like, meaning, like, I don't know if he's just like, all right, guys, we're probably going to die tomorrow. No point in seeking God. Let's just go to sleep. We'll wake up. We'll see what happens. <laughs> like, I think that, like, and love it is revealed to him in the night. Like, they're probably not going to bed that night. I don't think I'd go to bed. Like, hey, guys, we either tell the king tomorrow or we're dead. So let's just not go to sleep tonight. Right? And I just think, like, what, if, he didn't seek the, if he didn't seek the God of heaven, would he have had the dream revealed to him? There, there is participation in this. There's a sense of, like, we must ask and call upon God. And I shared this verse last week, but let, it, let, it, let this verse be seen through this context right now. In James 1, James says it this way, right? He says in James 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave, the seed that is driven and tossed by the wind. He's like, listen, if you lack wisdom, ask. Ask. God will give it. You need what Daniel, you need wisdom. Ask. That's what Daniel's doing. God, I don't have wisdom. I'm asking you. And he asked in faith. And he said, God will give generously. Don't doubt. Ask in faith. This is what they're doing. They're asking in faith. James went on to say in James 5, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Love that. It's the ESV version. Maybe you've heard the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man reveals much. I think the ESV is right. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Daniel's like, let's seek mercy from the God of heaven. Um, I can't stress that phrase enough. There's times in my life where it's like, I, I just need mercy, God. Like, I'll be merciful to me. Do you ever get reminded of, like, I need to show mercy to others because I want mercy one day? Like, there's some of these thoughts that, like, can I, I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe she would say, I can't, can you, can you like, do this awful game? And God's like, hey, do you want mercy? Be merciful. And I'll say this, seek, the, seek mercy from the God of heaven. She's like, God, I need your mercy. I need it. How dare I not show it to someone else when I desperately need it? But you see Daniel seek mercy from the God of heaven. And I try to write out like a few verses um, or a few thoughts on this because here's what I find interesting. There's like, I can't imagine the tension in that moment. Arioch was like, bro, you don't go to, like, he let him go to the king. He could have killed him right there and then. He goes to his friends. He somehow gets a knight to pray and see God. And here's some thoughts. Um, they were separated yet in community, meaning they weren't with the Chaldeans, the magicians, and the enchanters. They were separated from all that junk and nonsense and yet in community together. I think this is a great example from the church that we're not, we're in the world, we're not of the world. We're separate yet in community. The other thought is they're seeking yet listening. I have to point this out. They're obviously asking God, expecting to hear from him. Think about this. They're like, we need to know the vision. They're not just praying. They're praying with the intent to hear from him. Do you see the difference in praying? It's not just praying. All right, God, prayer time is not like, all right, God, I'm going to talk. You're going to listen. <laughs> right? Isn't that weird? If you're like, what is prayer? Prayer is where I talk and God just sits there and listen. Like, no, no. Prayer is not just you talking to God. There's something humble going on. You're like, hey, God, I'm talking to you, and I'm going to be quiet and be still and expect you to respond. I would say prayer has to be a dialogue more than it's a monologue. And so they're praying, expecting that God is going to show up, expecting that God is going to speak. So they're seeking, they're seeking the mercy, yet they're obviously listening. I would say this, if you want to have a, a more vital prayer time and vital prayer life, it's important to give some space to also listen, to pray, listen, to pray and say, God, we speak. They're seeking, yet listening. They're desperate, <laughs> We have a night. They're desperate, yet it seems they're just at peace. 
I don't hear this fear. I hear prudence and discretion talking to Arioch. I hear him going, hey, we got to seek the God of heaven. Not, I love that thought of desperate yet peaceful. I love the thought of like, we're desperate. God, you need to speak. Fire come down. Like we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, God. We're desperate for you. But yet we're at peace. God, we need you to show up. You have to provide in some way, but we're at peace. What a beautiful tension. I think like we should have urgency and desperation in many ways in our prayer. Like, yes, God, help the kids in foster care. Help that mom who's contemplating what to do with their baby. You're desperate, yet you're at peace. God, I trust you. I think this is such a good tension we're seeing in them. So you see this puzzled king, you see this praying people. And then verse 19 was just so clear because it just says it. Uh, we'll put up verse 19 again. It literally says in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed. That's it. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So the night he has a vision, it's revealed. We'll tell you what the vision is next week. But here's what happens next. Daniel answered, all right? So God's like, here's the vision. We don't even told what it is yet. Before we're told what the vision is, what does Daniel do? He praises God. And so look at this, verse 21, or verse 20. It says, Daniel answered, so that it's given. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Before we're even told, it's like the, the mystery is revealed to him, and here's what the mystery is. I love the way that Daniel writes this. He puts this, he goes, the mystery is revealed, and it just breaks off into song and worship and praise. So listen, um, when it comes to prayer, we better have some portion of time dedicated to praise. Meaning, I think it's so good to not just pray, but like, what if we praise God in advance? What if we actually praise him just after God answered the request? How many things have you and I prayed for that are like, cool, that, I'm glad that worked out? <laughs> Daniel's just like, cool, I'm glad that worked out. He's like, I need to stop and praise you first. There's something about that going, okay, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to forget to praise him. It's Luke 17 where Jesus heals the 10 lepers. If you remember, the 10 lepers go, go, show yourself to the priest in Luke 17. And they go, so as they're going, as they're going to the priest, they're, they still have leprosy. As they're going to the priest, they're healed. And the nine run away and celebrate, and only one came back, the one who was a Samaritan, and says, and he just falls in his face and praises Jesus. And then the, the people around him are like, wait, well, I thought there was 10 that were healed. Why did only one come back to praise? And, and I just think that so often God answers prayers. And we like immediately run away. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. And I would say, make sure you turn back to praise. Make sure that one leper that comes back is like, Jesus, thank you, man. I can't, I can't believe you did that. Like, I know I've asked for this. I know I've, I've been seeking you on this. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't want to be like a spoiled brat who's like, it's about time you showed up. It's like, no, I want to have an appreciative heart. And like, thank you, God. I can't believe you did it again. And you showed up again. And it just turns into this song of praise. It's unbelievable. I want to point, point this out too. Just a few thoughts on this, pray, or on this prayer or praise. As he's praising God, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of outline this. But notice what he's saying. He's saying, God, you're wise. God, you're sovereign. God, you give revelation. I don't know what the XP is. Um, God, you give revelation. <laughs> he says, God, you're sovereign. You're wise. You're God who reveals. I would say this. Spend some time when you, pray God, when you praise God for who he is. It's not just what he does. He's going, God, you're sovereign. You're wise. You give your wisdom because that's just who you are. You're a giver. You're a revealer. You reveal. He's just praising God for who he is. We thank him for what he's done. We praise him for who he is. And I love that he's doing both. He's going to praise you, God. Thank you, God. I praise you for who you are. 
I think we should just spend some time, like, when it comes to prayer, maybe if you're struggling, spend some time before you get to your requests, just spend some time praising God for who he is. God, there's no one like you. You are the maker and creator of all things. God, by your word, you framed the world. By your word, everything exists that exists. God, you are this self-existent being. No one created you. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and the end. You're the first and the last. I would say spend some time just like acknowledging who he is. When, he, when you pray, when Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what that is. This is what Daniel's doing. Hallowed be your name, God. There's no one like you. You're above everything. I can't move on sometimes from these little, like, we get little snapshots of great men and women's prayer or praise, and we cannot pass on verse 20 through 23, because you get this little snapshot, like, this is what they valued about God. How do we value the same things? This is what they praise God for. I don't want to just read them. That's so cool. They, like, sit in the person of who God is. Hey, do you know God to be a friend who is wise? Do you know that God is sovereign, and he's a revealer, and he's a giver? Do you see God in that way? Do you praise God for being those things? You might see God as just some like guy that's judgmental to you, and you have a broken, satanic perspective of God, an incomplete perspective of God. I want to encourage you to embrace and fight for the perspective that we see in scriptures like this. Verse 20 through 23 is powerful. I love what, uh, uh, gosh, this is a long quote. Should I do the long quote? You don't want me to. Okay, I'll do it. Uh, A.W. Tozer, listen to this. It's long, it's long. This is what he says. You know Tozer, he's fire. We're almost done. Here's what Tozer says. He says, the idea of God as infinitely wise is at the root of all truth. It is an aspect of belief necessary to the soundness of all other beliefs about God. Listen, wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning. So there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. And all his acts are as pure as they are wise, and as good as they are wise and pure. Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not be imagined. An infinitely wise God must work in a manner not to be improved upon by finite creatures. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou, or you made them all. The earth is full of all your riches. He's just praising God for his wisdom. This is um, knowledge of the holy, I believe, when he wrote this. And he's saying, God, there's no one like your wisdom is perfect in its timing, in its pure, in its means, and how it's delivered. And this is what Daniel's essentially saying. God, there's nothing like your wisdom. Notice, they essentially, probably these other people had the same night to pursue their gods. And they're probably doing their normal things they do. The enchanters are enchanting. The magicians are magicianing. <laughs> they're, they're seancing. They're doing their thing. I love what Bob Fywell says about this. He says, not by horoscopes, seances, and divination would enlightenment come, but from the God of heaven, a title also used in the post-exilic uh, books of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is not simply the tribal God of Israel, but the God who rules the heavenly bodies of which the study and attempt to manipulate lay at the heart of Babylonian religion, not by hor horoscopes and seances. It was not by calling upon the unseen in their way. It was by Daniel calling upon the unseen in prayer and coming to God and saying, God, you have to show up. Here's the thing. Um, I just want to end with this thought. We'll get to the, the mystery what, or the, the dream next week. But I, before we even do that, we've we got to do what Daniel did. God, we're desperate. God, you've got to show up. And we're going to praise you. We're praying. God, we trust that you're going to reveal. He reveals. We're going to praise you.
We're not going to move on until we praise you. We're not going to talk to the king of Babylon and tell him what the dream is. He didn't rush in and say, I got it, I got it, I got it. He didn't rush in. He just goes, thank you, God. And so I don't want to rush away. I just want to say, thank you, God. You might have needs in your life. You might have trials or troubles like a, a, a Nebuchadnezzar. I want to encourage you not to rush away, to praise God, spending time thanking him. So can you just do this? Why don't you just stand right now? We're going to close out in worship. And I do not want to move on from this. I want you to remember that exactly what Daniel says. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows, listen, he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Verse 23, listen to this and then we'll worship. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Guys, we have something to praise God about. He's not just given us wisdom for the moment. He's given us God in the flesh, the person of Jesus, who walks and dwells with us, and you can know him in this way. And I just want to invite you to know the God who walks with us, the God who dwells with us. Can I just pray over you? We're going to worship and sing and praise. Father, we just want to say thank you. There is no one like you. God, you are the God of all gods. You're the king of all kings. You're the one true God. We thank you that you made known yourself to us, the person of Jesus. We thank you that, God, you live and dwelt among us. We just want to praise you. There is no one like you, Jesus. You are the son of man who Daniel talks about. And so we look to you. We want to praise you. Though kings and kingdoms will come and fall, Lord, you will always remain. So we just want to praise you now in your precious name, Jesus.